Hello and welcome to this episode of Fulike's African Skies podcast. My name is Fulike Adebisi. In this podcast, I will be talking about many of the things that I have written about in my blog. Um, I hope you enjoy this episode and please do subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Folika Debisi. I'm from the University of Bristol. Uh, my brief today, given by Neil, is to deliver a provocation on truth, decolonization, and the neoliberal university. So if you are provoked at the end, please let me know. And if you are not, please let me know and I'll see what I can do. Uh, so this is a picture of the River Niger. Well, there are two pictures actually. And I once lived beside this river, and from my balcony, I could often see the sun reflecting off its waters. This river is over 4,000 kilometers long. Her flow begins in the easternmost uh, end of West Africa at the highlands of Futajalon in Guinea Conakry. And she flows west till she exits the land from the oil river's delta into the Atlantic. She has had many names over the years. The people of Songhai called her Isa, the Hausa called her Kwara, and the Tuaregs called her Egera Nigerawen, meaning the river of rivers. This river for thousands of years served as a transport system in one of the most diverse regions of the world. She has provided sustenance for all forms of life. Her ebb and flow have marked time for generations. She has witnessed empires rise and fall, and still she flows. But for those students who now go to school around her, the only things they are taught about her are that her name was given to her by Leo Africanus, an Andalusian diplomat. No other names are taught. Students are often told that she was discovered by Mongo Park, a Scottish explorer. Though those who lived in her and with her never declared her missing. And so I suggest to you quite strongly that we have always lived in a post-truth world. And those who live in what is designated the global south have always tasted the waters of post-truth. What is startling to us now is that the frontiers of post-truth are moving north and are being dispersed very, very quickly. So decolonization is often perceived as a means to uncover histories hidden from the truth, histories like the histories of the river. But one of the pitfalls of decolonial praxis in higher education is a fundamental misconception of what it requires, both in theory and in practice. The four main things that I suggest decolonization is confused with are representation, inclusion, diversity, and equality. As a decolonial academic, that's myself, it quickly becomes clear that without critical thought, representation can become tokenistic. People are often included into spaces that are not safe for them. General statements of equality often ignore the process of othering and set an unequal normative standard of equality. In promoting diversity, we often promote difference that doesn't make a difference. 
Thus, we focus on what we are fighting for rather than what we are fighting against. And all our lofty sounding words and good intentions pave the way to hell for groups who, are most, who have almost been routinely left out of our knowledge systems. Shakpo Madeline Gozzi states that decolonization is always a disruptive process. Franz Fanon calls it a violent phenomenon. Tuck and Yang describe decolonization as nothing else than the undoing of colonization. As Joel Moduri tells us, decolonization is an insatiable reparatory demand, an insurrectionary utterance that always exceeds the temporality and scene of its enunciation. It entails nothing less than an endless fracturing of the world colonialism created. What then is this world that was created that must be fractured? Note that we often confuse the passing away of political structures with the permanence of colonial logics that drove the colonial process and continue to drive our institutions and our world. There are two overarching logics that I refer to here. One is the commodification of space and nature. The other is the commodification of humanity and variably valued labor. Built on, built on, this, on these overarching logics is the mostly racial and gendered categorization and hierarchization of people into those who labor and those who benefit from that labor. This system is given legitimization by drafting people who Fanon calls the wretched of the earth into what Fanon as well calls the zone of non-being. According to Grossfogel, this is the line uh, below the line of the human. Hickel calls this the sacrifice zone. As Achille Mbembe's work on the practice of necropolitics explains, political power is deployed globally to decide who may live and who must die in service of maintaining this world that colonialism created. Therefore, we cannot decolonize higher education structures while relying on colonial logics of commodification of labor and space. This commodification of higher education in the UK is exemplified by all sorts of university rankings, all these letters, alphabet soup, REF, TEF, NSS, KEF, WTF. These all, <laughs> these all rely on logics of linking value to particular definitions of productivity, while also ignoring institutional racism, sexism, ableism and homophobia, among other things. These refusals to see, refusals to change, mean that we have strapped ourselves to a machine designed to destroy us. Living in hope that before it does, at least it feeds us, sustains us for a while, unlike the poor, benighted so souls in the sacrifice zone, the wretched of the earth, trampled under the wheels of this machine and then cast into the river with its forgotten names its waters closing over their heads as they drift off into the silence. We do not remember their names. Their bodies and their realities were too dissonant and distant to fit into the normative frames of disciplines that did not consider the wretched human at the dawn of the discipline's inception. Now the discipline is complete, the canon is closed, and all it can do is fire out at a dying world. As we live through and hope to survive the sixth mass extinction, we need to carefully consider why we're still operating on the same colonial logics and if we really expect different outcomes. Or are we just hoping to be fed and sustained for a while 
unlike those living on the other side of the abyssal line. We bury the wretched and expect the water to always hide them. But the stench of bloated bodies will rise from this wretched earth. We cannot decolonize the university using the same logics that made it a colonizing force. How illogical is it that the structure we are attempting to decolonize is the structure we are attempting to use to decolonize? Therefore, until we in our disciplines, our institutions, and our world are able to create spaces in which the voices of the women on the banks of the river can properly be heard by us, and what the water knows and remembers is understood by us, decolonization will remain impossible, and the waters will die away as the bodies that lie under it have done, and so will we. Decolonization is impossible, but we can make her possible. If we wish to survive this wretched night that the earth has been plunged into by humanity, we must make her possible. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fulke's African Skies podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I look forward to chatting in your ear soon. Goodbye.